Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Bush Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... Ladies and gentlemen, this guy has performed everywhere. He performs around here. He's performed in New York City, Los Angeles. Give him a big round of applause. Dick Sartori! One more time for your host, Brendan Kennedy. Let him hear it, y'all. My name is Dick Satori. Um, so, I'm in court, standing before a judge, facing charges of possession with intent to manufacture and distribute crack cocaine, facing 40 years. The charges had been reduced to simple possession after DNA evidence, uh, and I was going for first offender status, which they have in Virginia, which is great. Uh, unfortunately, there's no such thing as second offender status. So the stakes were high. Um, and uh, he says to me, you realize that if you break probation, you will receive the full charges. In that moment before, I did not realize this. Um, I had sort of an outer body experience. I was in extreme shock. All I could imagine is if I so much as got a speeding ticket in the next two years, I would not taste freedom until I'm 70. Um, but after he said it, I did realize. And I don't know. I, uh, I didn't want to fuck things up, so I just shook my head yes. Uh, it was an opportunity to, to have my, my record cleared if I made it through those two years. Like I said, the stakes were high. As long as I wasn't, <laughs> things were going to be all right. Now, when I got arrested, um, I, I, uh, maybe it's worth mentioning, I had a psychic feeling that it was going to happen. It's probably not worth mentioning I had that same premonition every other time I used. <laughs> I had developed a pretty, pretty bad drug hobby in Montreal, and I just knew it was a matter of time before I got back to the States, drug laws being a lot more severe, just a matter of time before I got arrested. But the hooks were in me pretty deep. You know, when I felt compelled to use, it was like being taken over, and uh, you don't really look at the... Uh, you know, the stakes. Um, so I was, I was definitely nervous uh, those next two years. Um, my first thought after this happened is, you can drink in rehab, right? <laughs> no. Uh, apparently not. My drugs of choice have always been illegal, so I was like, well, hey, now I'll just, you know, go with the legal drugs. But um, my, I couldn't afford real rehab. Uh, I was in the country. My rehab was binge-watching Celebrity Relapse on Netflix. <laughs> Under the covers, just trying not to cry and trying not to peek too much at the over-glamorization of drug use every 20 minutes in the opening sequence. I was just like, oh, that could have been me. A B-list celebrity at best. Uh, I am in the entertainment world, and... Um, there's such a thing as the actor's ego. You've got to keep working. And I was a bit of an albatross, so I was able to kind of pick up some odd jobs here and there. And uh, 
And for the first time in a long time, I wasn't spending my money every day on freebase cocaine. So before I knew it, I had a little bit of money saved up. And uh, I found a used van for $1,500. And, uh, and I bought it. I couldn't drive, but it was like became this symbol of freedom for me. And um, I started buying stereo equipment, just getting bigger speakers for it. And uh, my sponsor was quick to point out, you realize you're still a bass head. And uh, so, you know, you got to fill that void. But um, and I just started, you know, eating food. And, uh, you know, I had heard once that that sugar can release the same dopamine in your brain as cocaine. And, um, you know, I thought, well, what the hell? Give it a try. (laughs) But uh, so, you know, I filling the void with food. So I just went from 12 inch subs in my trunk to 12 inch subs in my face. And, uh, you know, as you, as you get a little bit of recovery, your memory starts to come back, which is good and bad. Uh, the good news is I remember where the hell I pawned my integrity, um, so that was helpful. But then you start to remember like some of the crack horrors you may or may not have associated with and may or may not have had sexual relations in a McDonald's bathroom. And uh, don't judge too hard. She was a very classy lady. Uh, her tramp stamp that said bitch was written in old English font. Uh, I'll have you know that. <laughs> um, and I think that first year, the only step I really seemed to work was step 11, which was meditation, and step 13, sex with a newcomer. In my case, masturbation. So, what do you <laughs> Oh, man. But um, actually, eventually later on, I, I even stopped masturbating completely. I, I, I felt like an orgasm is something that should be shared between two people, even if one person is walking away in disgust. <laughs> Sadly, I developed a fetish for women walking away from me. Uh, <laughs> but um, one person that I, I almost trusted, I had serious trust issues, as uh, you might imagine, um, and they're like, you really need to start going to meetings. And I was like, well, I, I can't have anybody see me there. And the last thing I'm going to do is like speak, you know, share at a meeting. And she's like, honey, there is like a full page color publicity picture of you in the paper talking about your broken little crack pipe in your underpants. There are no more secrets anymore. Oh, man. It's like, the, you know, you, you spend all your time using trying to like, you know, hold up these masks and really at the end of the day, at the end of the road, you're really just fooling yourself. But I was just like, no, nobody can know what everybody knows. <sighs> so I go to a meeting and, and I'm in the country, so they don't even have NA. I go to AA and uh, I had to ask my mom to give me a ride. It's very humbling and uh, just, it kind of feels like your partner walks in on you watching like midget porn or something. <laughs> Awkward, that's the word I'm looking for. And so we're just sitting there, I'm just like uh, trying to be invisible. Someone comes up afterwards like, hey man, you know, before I got in recovery, I was a flaming asshole, but now I go to meetings and I got a sponsor. Now I'm just an asshole. (laughs) And it felt really good to laugh. I think I had forgotten how. And, um, you know, that's all I really remember about that first meeting, other than it was very dry. Yeah. Um... (laughs) So, you know, I started to go to meetings. And the thing that bothered me, though, is it took me 20 years to admit that I was an addict. And now I was having to identify myself as an alcoholic. 
You know, it just felt really comfortable lying. And uh, I was trying to change, you know, I had to change. So, um, but it did become apparent um, that, you know, you take away my first drug of choice. I, I will drink alcoholically. Um, I would rather fall down a flight of stairs than take 12 steps up, is what I'm saying. And, um, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I started picking up chips, you know, and key tags at meetings. Um, they give you keychains in N.A., I would eventually start to find out about the one meeting a week. And you get poker chips in AA, which I always found was odd. Because what do they give you then in Gamblers Anonymous? Congratulations, here's a sketch on the rocks. (laughs) So I kept picking up chips. Um, But, uh, you know, they they tell you not to, to date your first year. You're very vulnerable and, you know, you're... Again, you got to fill that void. Um, so, uh, you know, of course, I didn't listen. And uh, my, my friends actually set me up on a blind date about eight months in. I go to the restaurant. I get there a little late, so she's at the bar having a drink. And I'm like, yeah, I'll have a coffee. Coffee, because you fucked up everything else. And, but, um, you know, she's making small talk. She's like, so you don't drink? And I was like, no, nah, I don't drink. I go to scoop some sugar into my spoon and instinctively pull out a lighter. <laughs> She's like, not even sometimes? I'm like, I've never even thought about it. <laughs> She's like, what would happen if you had my drink? And I was like, oh, geez, imagine like, I don't know, like you wake up in kind of a crappy apartment can't find your keys or your wallet and can't really see except for a Coleman lantern on the floor and there's six empty dollar store lighters and an empty box of birthday candles. That's weird. Yeah, and uh, there's a trash bag full of smoke hidden inside of a piece of luggage next to a toilet paper roll stuffed with bounty fabric softener crammed into a wool sock and there's somebody peering out of the trash bags covering the windows like a scared cat with OCD. Damn, that would happen to you if you had one drink? I was like, no, no, no. That would happen to you if I had one drink. <laughs> so that worked out well. You know. Now, up to this point, the biggest meeting I ever went to for recovery was like 10 people. And um, now under probation, I could only travel to meetings or church. So meetings. And... Um, I found out about a meeting in Ocean City. It's the D.C. area convention, and there's like 3,000 people. And it's just kind of mind-blowing and awesome. And um, having a good convention on Friday night. So at the end of it, I go out and celebrate at one of the local bars, you know. And we're chatting up these people from different places. Where are you from? Where are you here for? I'm here for an N.A. convention. They're like, you could hear the needle scratch off the record. They're like, what? I was like, I got a crack cocaine problem, not an alcohol problem. Thank you very much. So, um, anyway, uh, you know, I I did wind up meeting someone that night. She was smoking hot, pun intended. And um, she's from Philly. She's there with some friends. I get her number. Saturday night, the last night of the convention, I give her a call, see what they're up to. They're having, like, a little house party. They invite me over. They're having a couple, couple drinks and... Someone lights up a joint, and I'm like, hey, I got a crack problem, not a weed problem. I take a couple puffs before I realize it's laced with cocaine. 
It felt like a Bowie knife just slicing through my third eye. Did not get high. Um, and it just kind of shattered my world and, and put things in perspective. Um, you know, like I said, the stakes were high. And, uh, you know, th- there was no way I could go through the hell that I went through again. And I damn sure was not going to make it through four more seasons of celebrity rehab. So I made up my mind once and for all there to kind of, you know, say goodbye for good, you know, to, to all the drugs. And, uh, and I've just recently started, you know, to stop feeling sorry for myself. I started to stop to feel sorry for myself, you know, and, and just be grateful for what I do have. Honestly, you know, life has been a lot better than I could ever, you know, remember it. You know, it's kind of like it's the allegory of the cave or, or, or some kind of... Um, you know, Stockholm syndrome, you just get comfortable and you're just afraid of change. Really, you know, I do have to thank my higher power in that first year whom I choose to call fear. Um, But, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'd I'd spent my my whole using career, my my drug-a-log, you know, lying um, for my own protection and in and like I said, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the road, really the only person I was fooling was myself. Um, and that first year started to eat at me. I'd pick up my first year medallion and my second year medallion and my third year medallion. And, you know, this is supposed to be a program based on honesty. You know, they say you're only as sick as your secrets. And uh, for those first two years I was on probation, I, I had a real fear of, you know, anything coming to light. Um, but now, uh, you know, I was in my fourth year and January, I picked up my five year medallion and that's kind of a big milestone. So each year for the past couple of years, I would get my, my coin in gold. I call this my medical alert necklace. Um, if I'm not wearing it, I've relapsed cause it's in the pawn shop. Um, this is my four year medallion, um, which I've been wearing with my head up. For the past five months. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.